my name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. Glad that you chose to spend a little bit of your summer day here with us, and I, for one, am glad that it's summer. Um, people keep saying, like, what are you doing for the summer? Like, I'm outside. I'm outside. That's all I'm doing. I'm going outside. So it's great stuff. You know, the song we just sang is based on the principle that we can look forward to glory because of what God has done in our lives right now. Because we've been free in our hearts, because we've been forgiven of our sins, it makes it possible for us to look forward, even out of our tough times, out of suffering, and expect something great in the future. It's because of what God has done for us regarding our past and what he's done for us right now in the present. So Psalm 32 talks to us a little bit about that. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You've probably felt that before when you confess a sin and you just feel free, you feel like a weight is off of your shoulders, and that is what God is willing to offer you. That's what forgiveness and the gospel involve, uh, that you don't have to be defined by the person you once were, by the bad choices that you once made. You can be on a new road. You can walk the Jesus way instead of your way. Okay, we continue on reading verse 3. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. If you're anything like me, you've probably felt that too. Like if you're holding on to a sin, if you're holding, you, you know you need to deal with a tough thing, you know you need to confess something you've done wrong, and as long as you hold it in and kind of bottle it up, and that's what our way would lead us to do, right? Stuff it, hide it, keep it to yourself. As long as you're doing that, it, it, it takes a toll. I mean, here in the scripture, and we also know from science, like it literally ruins you. It ruins your body. It ruins your heart. It ruins your soul uh, to hold those kinds of things inside. And that's why what Jesus offers us is not just a different way. It's actually a better way. It's the right way to go. If we try to do life our way, we end up on the wrong track. Okay, verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and my guilt is gone. And that joyful release, that moment of realizing that you're forgiven and you're free, that's the moment that we say starts your Christian journey. That's not the end of it, that's the beginning. When God sets you free from your sin so that you can walk a new direction, that's day one. Now you get to live in the light of that new direction. You get to start following Jesus as he leads you. And the freedom we experience through forgiveness with God is a precursor to the kind of freedom we're going to experience in our relationships with one another when we learn how to do things the way Jesus would do them instead of the way that we're used to doing them. And that's what we're going to explore today along the Jesus way. As was mentioned before, we've talked about anger, we've talked about uh, deception, we've talked about greed, with all these things that hold us back and that really if we just sort of let ourselves go, sort of the natural human course of selfishness, that's the kind of person we would be. Well, along that we also find that holding back forgiveness and becoming bitter and angry inside, 
that's a natural course of action too, but it's a course of action that you don't, you don't have to let your life be defined by that anymore. So we've said before, when we start the Jesus way of life, we repent, we turn from our way so we can follow his example in all things. This is a daily choice we're going to make. So yes, there's a, you know, we celebrate day one of anybody's Christian journey. And if today needs to be day one for you, we would celebrate with you. Uh, but every single day after that, now you have this opportunity to follow Jesus instead of following your own way of doing things. So as we walk through different virtues and teachings of Jesus in this series, we're just trying to explore not just is Jesus' way better, we'd probably all go, yeah, I guess I agree that it would be, but how do we live Jesus' way? Okay, so today we're going to talk about the fact that the way of Jesus is free from resentment and full of forgiveness. Free from resentment and full of forgiveness. Would you say that you're a resentful person? Do you hold grudges? When someone does wrong for you, do you, when someone does wrong to you, like are you prone to give them the evil eye back and then hold on to that and never forget what that person did? If that's you, I want to offer you a different road today. The Jesus way doesn't lead you toward resentment and building up a big record of wrongs against people and getting bitter in your heart toward people. The Jesus way offers you freedom not just from that situation where the hurt came from, but also freedom to pursue your purpose in life unencumbered by a bunch of resentment. Okay, so we're going to look at how this works and how Jesus modeled it for us in the next few moments. Resentment, according to the dictionary, is the bitter indignation of having been treated unfairly. And maybe you would feel that. In fact, the word indignation, to me, I can almost picture that word in my mind. It looks like someone's face to me. You've probably seen the face, you've probably made the face, right? When you're, it's, it's just, you feel like your very dignity has been attacked and you're, you're just filled with indignation because you can't, you, you're, either your pride has been wounded, you're, someone hasn't treated you fairly, something's gone wrong, or someone has actually really hurt you and you recognize and that the bitterness that grows in your heart, we would call resentment. Resentment leads to all sorts of other negative pathways, right? I mean, resentment often is the root of people's anger. It might be the root of someone's envy or jealousy. It could be the root of someone's depression or despair. There's all sorts of things that can happen to a person if they let a little root of resentment, of bitterness, start growing in their heart, in their life. Okay, so it's the disgust you feel when someone has wronged you, taken something from you, limited you, maybe just not appreciated you. So some people might have that root of resentment start when they get passed over for a job promotion or when they feel like their teacher gave them an unfair grade on a test that they took or, or when they, they feel like their neighbor isn't following the rules or, I mean, just all sorts of things, some of them silly and some of them serious, cause people to have resentment against one another in their hearts, okay? So I'm just going to make an assumption that you probably know what I'm talking about, that, that this has been a temptation for you a time or two that when something wrong has happened to you, you've been tempted to get resentful about it. How would Jesus teach us to walk a different road? Now, the thing about resentment is that it can grow, it can multiply, and, and it, it results in what you could think of as, as, as sort of a bitterness poisoning in your soul that ruins you, ruins who you are and what you were made to do, and it, it could stop your forward motion in life altogether. 
It's really heartbreaking to run into people who, because of a past hurt or a past wrong that was done to them, that, that all other progress in their life stops, that everything else that they would be yearning for or longing for, they feel like they can't ever have it because they're weighed down by resentment. In a, in a way, it's the other side of guilt, right? Guilt is when you do something to someone else and you feel bad. Resentment is when someone else does something to you and you feel bad. But either way, you're stuck until you find some path toward freedom. And what I want to encourage you with today is that that freedom is available to you even if the hurt runs deep. It might take some time. There might be some undoing that has to be done. There might be a lot of prayer. But here's the thing. Jesus came to set you free from that kind of bondage. The Jesus way is free from resentment and full of forgiveness. Maybe you'd say, Pastor Dan, I've tried to forgive. I would love to walk away from my hurt. I just don't know how. That's why I'd hope to give you at least a few forward steps today on that road. Okay, here's something to remember. If you don't learn how to forgive, every one of your relationships will end with bitter resentment. Now, why would I say that absolutely? I just want you to think about this for a second. If you don't learn how to forgive, every one of your relationships will end with bitter resentment. Why would that be true? Well, you're a human being, and so are the people you're having a relationship with, and every one of those people has faults, has annoyances, has sin in their own life, and, and we know that offenses will come. If you hang out with a person long enough, there will be something you have to be gracious about. Would you agree with that? We all found that out when we got married. Like, oh my, I thought this person was going to be perfect. Okay, well, Melissa's perfect, but I know you might have a different experience than I've had. But the, uh, you, you realize that suddenly grace and forgiveness are going to have to be in the equation or else the relationship will end or subsist in bitter resentment. And that would be true for friendships. That would be true with employers. That's true with schools. It's true with churches. If we don't know how to forgive each other, if we don't know how to be gracious to each other, then eventually that bitter resentment, those roots will start growing. Anger, greed, envy, selfishness, all of that will come up. And we might end up hating a person that we used to love. And how is that possible? And what do we do about it? So our way of dealing with hurt looks something like this, some combination, or maybe all four of these things. When we get hurt, first instinct, I mean, if someone punches you, what do you think you should do? You tighten your fist, you punch back. I mean, of course, it's, you've got to hurt the person back, in this, in, especially if you could get them back the same way they hurt you. If they say a jabbing word that really hurts your feelings, what do you, what do you want to do back? No, hurt their feelings back. I mean, make them, make them pay for it. If they steal something from you, what do you want to do? I want to hurt them back. You can even say this is, this, you could even think of this in global terms, national terms. If, if, someone, if, someone, if some terrorist comes and shoots someone, what do you want to do to the terrorist? You want to shoot them back. Like at every level of personally and even as a society, our knee-jerk reaction to being hurt is immediately to say we've got to, we've got to hurt back. We might also say, I'll stop caring about them. Like, maybe I can't directly hurt that person back, but I'm going, to, I'm going to intentionally not care about their feelings, about what they think, about what their, where their life is going or what, what they might be going through. I'll make them pay that way. 
I'll make sure no one forgets. So, so here you could imagine, you could imagine where, the, where the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. You say, well, I don't love this person. I want to make sure the record of wrongs is clear, that no one ever forgets how much they hurt me or what they did or what they said. And then number four, I'll harden my own heart so that I won't get hurt again. And so what do we do? We, we say, I'll, I'll never hang around people like that again. I'll never go to a place like that again or join a group like that again. I'll never go to church again. I'll, I'll never, I'll, I'll, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. We think that if we isolate ourselves, harden ourselves against care, against love, that somehow that will fix our problems. Somehow we'll be insulated from being hurt again. You think there's a better way to deal with being hurt than our way. Well, I hope so. Because if this is the story, if this is the best we've got, then there's no point in hoping for human society to get better. (laughs) Um, There has to be a better way than this. Think of it this way. Um, Resentment is like an anchored boat that keeps your hurt nearby. So you resent someone, and it's like you could almost imagine that resentment here, here it is right in front of you, that you know, anchor goes over, roots itself in the sand down there, and now, now every time you open your eyes, every time you want to set sail, you've got a bunch of hurt you've got to navigate around. You've got a bunch of anchored boats sitting there in your harbor. could even ask it this way, how many resentments do you harbor? So when I was first thinking about this this week, I was thinking about that question I asked you before, am I a resentful person? And I had to say, well, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, sure, I mean, I've had my share of hurts and disappointments and things, but I, I don't feel like I'm defined by resentment. But this question got me at a different level, because it's easy to sort of brush over a bunch of things. I, I am not really that resentful. But when I had to ask myself, okay, well, how many resentments are anchored in my soul's harbor right now? How many people am I frustrated with, upset at? How many situations am I unhappy with that I let affect me? Well, suddenly, now I've got, there's, there's more answers to that question. Say, wow, Lord, I need your grace if I'm going to clear out this harbor and not have resentment in my way every time I try to set sail to go do something. And that's what I really believe that bitterness and resentment can do. It's not just about the relationship that's broken with the other person or the institution or whatever that you're upset at. It's also the fact that it holds you back from everything else you'll want to do in life. Because every time you look out at the future and you think, I want to go somewhere, what is right in front of you in your way that you've got to figure out how to navigate around? All these anchored resentments that are in your soul. So we can't harbor those anymore. The Jesus way doesn't involve navigating around your past hurts, but rather keeping your harbor clear through forgiveness. So as I've opened up the Bible and looked at the red letters as we're doing in this series and say, what does Jesus actually teach us about this kind of thing? I found a lot of hope that you don't have to live your life just sort of tiptoeing around a bunch of pain that never gets resolved. That there really is a road forward for you that, that is so different than the way that we would naturally think to deal with a problem that we have to admit this is Jesus' way, not my way. Because I wouldn't even think up this way. And here Jesus comes showing us the way himself and teaching us how to live it. 
So we know this story. Um, we go over it many times, especially around Easter time. Jesus on the cross, when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So here Jesus is under direct persecution. The guys with the big hammers that are nailing the stakes into his hands, into his feet, the people that had just whipped him, the people that pressed the crown of thorns on his head. When Jesus musters the strength to speak in that moment, he looks up to heaven and he says, Lord, get them. No, he didn't say that. That's what our way would tell us to do, right? I mean, if you had power to call, like in that situation, wouldn't you call upon the power? Like call the angels down or do something to fight back against the evil that's happening, against the mistreatment, the injustice, the, the willful misunderstanding of the people in that situation? Well, sure. I mean, that would be our way. I mean, you would fight back. But Jesus didn't. In fact, First Peter says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, but he was silent before those who were shearing him. He, he trusted justice to God. He didn't strike back. So instead, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was able to look at a bigger picture, not just after he was hurt, and then kind of reflecting back on lessons learned or something. Jesus, while he was getting hurt, walked a different road than we might naturally think to walk. So as we consider that, I was trying to break down like the difference between my natural way of dealing with this kind of thing and Jesus's way. Here's what I've come up with so far. When Jesus was getting hurt, his thoughts were, I choose to want the best for them, not just for me. We all want the best for ourselves. That doesn't take a choice and that's pretty much automatic. That's what you want. It's supernatural, it's the Jesus way when you think about the person who's hurting you and say, Lord, I actually want the best for that person. So here's Jesus watching these Roman guards hammering those nails into his hands, deciding in that moment to care for them, not just to care about what he was going through. I'll choose to see the bigger picture. Jesus was willing to look up and beyond that one moment, that one point of pain, and see something else going on. I'll choose to trust God for justice. And so where Jesus could have said, he could have said, hey, this is a wrong and it needs to be made right and people need to hear my side of the story and it's not fair what those people are saying about me. Like, he could have said all of that, but instead he trusted God with justice. He looks up to heaven. God, God will take care of the souls of those people. Everyone will get their due in the end. And so, Lord, I trust you with that. In the meantime, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And that gets us to number four there. I'll freely offer forgiveness and love. Now, you could look at that. You could say, well, Dan, that, I mean, I see it on the screen, but that doesn't answer my actual problem. I, I see that that would be the higher way to go, the better way to go, but how do I actually go that way? So we're going to hear a few words from Jesus, and then I want to walk you through five things that you can do that I really believe, even if you apply them the next time that you get hurt by something, it, it will change the story of that hurt, and you won't end up with another anchored boat in your harbor. All right, here's what Jesus said to Peter. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? 
No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Well, not, not to say we have to count how many that is, but it's, forgiveness is part of who you are if you're following Jesus. So there would never be a moment when it's right to hold a resentment, ever, in your Christian life. From, from now until the day you die, any resentment you harbor is not the Jesus way. There would never be a moment where God would look down from heaven and agree with you, yeah, that person, you should hate him. Yeah, you should let your anger run wild. You should rage against that person. You should hit that person back. It'll never happen that God would ever think that as you on the Jesus way would always be leading with forgiveness and trusting justice to God. It doesn't mean that, you let, that, that the justice doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that the person doesn't eventually pay. It just means that you're not the debt collector. You're not the judge. You're not the executioner. You say, God, that's all your job. I, as your representative in this world, want to forgive others the way that I've been forgiven. And it takes faith to do that. It takes a bigger perspective, an eternal perspective to do that. If you're only fixated on yourself and your feelings and your pain and whatever happened to you, you won't be able to think in those terms. But as soon as God gives you the grace, as soon as you lift your eyes and see the bigger picture, the story can change. Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now think about that last sentence there. I mean, well, why would I give my coat to? How would that, what would that mean? Like, what would that be doing? It would be turning, if you think of it this way, someone takes your shirt, that they took it. If you give someone your coat, that's like you having a ministry to that person. So you're flipping the script all the way over. Instead of them being a thief, now you're actually becoming a minister in that moment. So some of you are in my wife's book club, and uh, she loves doing those and really enjoys. I like that too because all these interesting books show up on our kitchen counter. Sometimes I'm tempted to read them. And, uh, and that was this month. This, we, we read The Hiding Place, and some of you read along in that. And what an amazing story. This, this whole book is about a woman who survived the Holocaust. Um, she, she literally lived in the concentration camps with her sister, uh, they had done everything they could to serve and love other people, and then the kind of like the earthly reward for that was they got carted off to Germany to, to sit in the concentration camps as well, and just endured all sorts of horrible, you know, unspeakable tortures and indignities that when you read the book, you're just, you know, floored by the depravity of what humans can do to each other and how evil it all is. And yet, in the middle of all that evil, you have Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy trying to live the Jesus way. And this book recounts some of the things that they did in those moments when they would be being tortured or beaten or shamed somehow. How right back, like in, in response to that, they would be thinking, how can I pray for these guards? Or when we all get out of here, how could I help that person someday? Just totally going the opposite way that most of us would want to go in that moment of sort of maximum pain. I wanted to read you just one paragraph of, of a report that Corey Tenboom gave about her sister Betsy, who demonstrated these principles so well. Betsy had been struck by a guard and, that, and the wound became infected and she got a fever and got all the way up to 104 degrees, so the, you know, where you're, it's, you're at death's door. And that's when they would let the person go to the hospital that was sort of attached to the big complex. And according to the reports, it wasn't like the hospital was a happy 
relief from the concentration camp, according to Corrie ten Boom, it was worse to, to go there because of all the pain and suffering. So here's what she writes. I hated the dismal place full of sick and suffering women, but we had to go back again and again for Betsy's condition was growing worse. She was not repelled by the room as I was. To her, it was simply a setting to talk about Jesus, as indeed every place else. Wherever she was, at work, in the food line, in the dormitory, Betsy spoke to those around her about his nearness and his yearning to come into their lives. As her body grew weaker, her faith seemed to grow bolder. And sick call was, quote, such an important place, Corey. Some of these people are at the very threshold of heaven. So here in a moment when it would be understandable to, to say, like, the limit of pain has been reached, and now I can be resentful and bitter and angry, and I can lash out. Um, here is Corey and Betsy in that moment thinking instead about this whole thing as a ministry. So how could somebody have that kind of a perspective in that kind of an evil situation? Well, that's the Jesus way. That's what Jesus can empower you to do. When someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other one. When someone takes your shirt, you say, wow, this person must need a coat as well. You're looking at life not about how do you defend yourself, how do you regain your honor, how do you protect your pride, how do you get what you want. Instead, you're thinking about your whole life whether it's going well or not going well, as a way of loving others. It's transformational to start thinking that way. Jesus also said when you're praying, first forgive anyone who you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So I want to give you something that I think will help you even this week. If you look back and you say, I've already, I already have boats in my harbor. I'm harboring a lot of resentments and I realize I need to deal with that. Or if you would say, like, I, I know I'm going into the future here, and I don't, I don't know if I have resents in the past, but we're all facing all sorts of reasons to be upset about all sorts of things. Lord, the next time that happens, here's what I want to do instead. I want to give you just this, this little tool to help you look around and maybe decide to walk the Jesus way instead of your own way. Hey, number one, first... When, you, when you're tempted, when you feel resentment, that tension rising, that potential to get angry, the potential to even hate someone, you first look in your own heart and you say, wait a minute, why am I being tempted to resent this? Now, the, the, the reason, the answer could be very obvious and legitimate, that there could be a, a major hurt that's happening and we have to deal with that. But sometimes... When you ask this question, you find out that the reason you're feeling resentful is because maybe there's actually something in you that is reacting. So maybe your pride is being wounded. Maybe the person's telling you the truth, you just don't want to hear it, so you're angry. I mean, those kinds of things can happen. So right at the very beginning, just look at your own heart and just identify, what is it about the situation that's making me feel resentful? Am I feeling underappreciated? Am I feeling trampled upon? Am I feeling, you know, made fun of? Am I feeling used somehow? Am I feeling like someone's taking something from me? Identify that. What rights am I holding on to? I'm not really thinking about American rights when I say that, but thinking more about, like, the idea that you'd say, I have the right to get what I want. I have the right for things to go my way. And if you're holding on to that, you're going to be frustrated all the time because generally in life, it doesn't work that way. Uh, how would Jesus think through this? What perspective do I need to gain? I think that's, that's an amazing question to start your process with. Here you are, you're facing this resentment, this hurt, this, this painful situation. 
And just begin with, okay, how would Jesus think through this? Jesus had all sorts of pain brought upon him. Like, let's just think about his thought process for a moment, just to identify what would the Jesus way be out of this particular hurt. Okay, so after we've looked inside, then we look back at the source of the pain. Why is this person or this situation, this institution, why are they doing something hurtful? This helps you detach from just your own, like kind of, you know, looking just at your situation and being so frustrated you can't think about anything else. It helps you zoom out a little bit and think about the other people involved. It doesn't justify what they're doing, but you might say, like, what, what could be motivating what they're doing? That might really be helpful insight, especially if you're going to follow the way of Jesus and pray for that person who's hurting you. If you're going to try to turn this into a ministry to that person, you say, well, uh, what, what, what is the issue that they're facing that would cause them to do this? Um, you've all heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. I think that's generally true. It's a little bit trite, and it's not very helpful in a tough situation to just whip that out, but I mean, it, the, the principle is correct, right? That usually if you see someone who's hurting others, they themselves have been hurt. And so you just think about that, and that, that informs your ability then to at least pray for that person. Um, and whatever might be behind the scenes in their life. In what way do they need God's love? Number three, look up to heaven. This is where you follow, again, the way of Jesus. You just look up and you say, well, here I am, I'm, I'm hurt. Someone said a, a mean remark about me. Someone gossiped about me. Someone took something from me. Lord, I'm hurt, but I recognize you are the judge. And so I'm going to look up to you and commit justice to you and I want to be your agent on earth, not of justice, but of love. Lord, you take care of the revenge and justice. You, you make sure that these things all work out in the end. For me, um, Lord, I want to be the person who forgives as I have been forgiven. And you're not, letting, you're not letting the person off the hook in the sense that they never pay for whatever it is they did. Instead, you're actually entrusting them to God. You're casting your cares on him because he cares for you. And he carries the weight and the burden. He deals with all the anchors and the resentments and all of that so that your life is clear and able to move forward. Okay, then you look around for ways to love. How can I offer God's love to the people in this scenario? How can I forgive, care, and share the way Jesus would? Uh, for me, when I was reading this book this week um, and, and reading about women who were in such suffering even dreaming about, like, when they got out, they wanted to start a home to, like, care for not only the fellow prisoners, but also the guards. I mean, and they did it. Like, it, it actually happened that way. You say, how did they ever get that kind of a mentality against that type of, like, starting from the position they started in? And it's because they were, each day, looking for the Jesus way. They were looking around saying, even in this dark situation, how can we share God's love? And if we'll do that when we're hurt, you know, sometimes it won't be, you know, big and flashy and miraculous, but it will change the story. Um, and instead of you getting cluttered up with resentments that you have to harbor, instead you start realizing that even some of those tough things that happen can be turned into opportunities to do good. And so you say, Lord, help me to be the kind of person who thinks that way, uh, the way that you thought. All right, then here's the last one. Look forward to life. Have I considered the glory has in God has in store for me? Who does God want me to become? And who does God want this other person to become? 
We sang about it a little while ago, glory awaits. Like there's so much joy and there's such, there's such a big story ahead of us. And I would hate to give up a bunch of that just so that I can look down at this little resentment issue I have with another person and let that ruin the story for me or let that waste years and years of my life or let that complicate every forward motion I ever try to take because I'm holding on to this bitterness in my heart. Instead, we root that out. We say, Lord, I, I, want, I want to live with an eternal perspective. I want to see the world in a bigger context than just my own feelings and my own pride. Uh, Lord, would you give me the grace to forgive as I've been forgiven and to think about this much, much bigger picture? When you ask the question, who does God want me to become? Now, sometimes the painful things in our lives actually help us become the sort of person we're supposed to be. Now, I'm not the kind of person who would tell you that God goes around orchestrating pain for people. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that God is powerful enough when you experience pain to turn that evil into something that can result in good. To take any difficult circumstance you face, any, any pain that you've experienced in your heart, he can take that and help you through that grow in character and become an even stronger person for it. And so you say, Lord, even in the midst of this, I want to follow Jesus and I want to trust you. Would you use this? Instead of this being something that ruins me, would you use this to grow me? God would delight to answer that prayer in your heart. And then what does God want that other person to become? Again, you're, they're thinking beyond just yourself, thinking about God's perspective on the situation. So a few years ago, I was in Sri Lanka, which is the island nation off the coast of India, and I met some really interesting people there. And one of them told me his story, and I wanted to tell you his story and his words. Um, this, this person had been a persecutor, um, and this, this picture, by the way, some of you might recognize the guy in the white shirt off to the side there, that's Sam Stevens, he, he's even spoken here at church. Um, but the other two guys were actually formerly enemies in the Sri Lankan war, and one had actually been a persecutor of the other. So here's the story behind that picture. The one man said, I have faced many persecutions. Twice my church building has been destroyed and rebuilt. At one point I handed my ministry over to an assistant and went to another unreached area. The Tigers power, and the Tigers were the, the Tamil people group. It was the Tamils versus the Singhalese, and they were in, at war for 23 years back in the 80s and 90s. And there was all sorts of animosity, hatred, terrible things that happened in civil war, as you might imagine. So the tiger's power was high there, but I too was a Tamil, so the locals didn't do anything to me. I built a church there, and we saw 24 people baptized, and then I started ministry to the surrounding villages. The war was raging nearby, and soon widows and injured people started coming to me. I thought to myself, how can I preach to these people? How can I pastor them? Then I knew I couldn't leave this place, even with the bombs and bullets flying. I had to stay there and share all I could. In that place, I had to bury nearly 300 dead children with my own hands. But God showed me that I would live and continue to do his work after the war. Once, I shared my vision of peace with the believers, that the war would end. And at that time, outside of my house, there were 40 bodies yet to be buried. People thought I was crazy for believing that these enemies would ever come to terms. Finally, the peace came. 
But not before I had seen so many of my own Tamil people slaughtered. With my own eyes, I saw these things. As we resettled back to our original village again, a number of Singalese people moved nearby. So this is the enemy. I could never love them, I thought. But one day when holding an open-air gospel meeting, a number of Singalese people came and 15 families were converted. They came to me after the service and said, Pastor, can you guide us? Now, I could not speak their language, and, I only spoke, and they only spoke a little Tamil. Even worse, I thought that I could never love them after everything I had seen their people do to mine. You'd better go and find a Singalese pastor, I replied. But there were none in the area. These families appealed to me five times, and five times I rejected them. Then God gave me a dream about the Good Samaritan. At first, I thought God had given the vision to the wrong man. Then I realized this is about me and the Singalese people. So I got them together in one place and we prayed. And in that moment, the thing I never thought I could do, I did. God did. I handed all of my Tamil ministry work over to my assistant and I resolved to take on the task of pastoring the Singalese. Now I spend more time than I do with the Tamils. As he went on to relate his story, some of the persecution he experienced was very personal. Uh, some of it was very up close in your face. And here, seeing we were at this pastor's conference, and here you have one of the former persecutors um, shaking hands and enjoying the same conference as the person that he had persecuted. Say, what an amazing testimony of what forgiveness can do and what the vision of the kingdom really is. These kinds of stories are repeated all throughout the world as people follow Jesus. They're repeated all throughout Christian history as people have followed Jesus. The Jesus way changes the direction that stories go. It changes the way nations can go. I mean, if you look around at the nation that we're in right now and you think it seems like things are disintegrating more and more every day into animosity that say, how will that ever be healed? Like, is there any way to imagine a future with unity and peace um, in the culture that we're living in. Say, well, the only way is the Jesus way. Forgiveness is the answer. Letting go of resentment and loving people as Jesus would is the answer. And it has to start with people like you and I taking that first step to see this kind of healing take place. So I want to conclude with this verse from the scripture. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Realize those things are all related. Resentment kicks them off. Resentment is where they start. You get angry, you have harsh words for people, you start slandering people, filled with bitterness. Instead, like give all that up. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Something struck me when, and I've, I have read this verse many, many times. I think I learned this verse back in Sunday school like years and years ago. I had never thought about, right in the middle of the verse, something that doesn't, it just, it just never struck me before. Hey, if you look at the second part, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Aren't you kind of imagining like some sort of really cheerful, you know, we're all, we're all together around the campfire, we're all hanging out at some church picnic or something, we're just loving, you know, being together, great fellowship, forgiving one another. And hold on a second, if, if, if forgiveness is necessary, then what just happened? 
hurt, pain, betrayal, anger, misrepresentation, you name it. All, the, all those things just happen. Those are going to happen in human relationships. But here we are on the Jesus way saying, I won't, even before it happens, I'm already deciding to not be defined by that, to not let the anchors of resentment go down. I'm already deciding to be the kind of person who forgives the way that Jesus forgave me. So I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment. Bow your head there for a second. I just want to talk to you and give you a chance to process this in the quietness of your own heart and mind. And I want to start with that first question. Are you a resentful person? And if that doesn't bring anything up into your heart, just ask the follow-up, like that picture with all the boats on it, how many resentments am I harboring? Are there people around that you would rather not see? Are there people that you get angry when you look at them or think about them? Are there people that you know you have unresolved issues with and you're doing your best to avoid them altogether? Are there people in the past that have hurt you and you've never forgiven them? Parents, kids, spouses, employers, exes. Or you would say, you know, when it comes to that relationship, I don't think I followed the Jesus way. I went my way instead. So as God brings those things to mind, decide to turn and say, Jesus, I really want to live in the freedom that you died to provide. I really want my life to be free and clear from obstacles, ready for the future that you have in mind for me. I don't want to be weighed down by a bunch of past mess when you have given me the road forward. So let's pray this together. Lord, we've all been hurt. We've all faced our share of pain and difficulty and injustice. We know that sometimes those injustices have come to define our lives, have held us back from our mission and our dreams and even from our forward motion as a person or just our desire to grow in our relationship with you or with people around us. We feel stuck. Lord, thank you, first of all, for modeling for us how to correctly deal with hurt how to see things from a bigger eternal perspective, how to forgive as a, as a pattern of life, how to look past the pain and see the people, to see your love, to be agents of your love. Lord, as we each reckon with this in our own heart and consider what our next steps need to be, I pray that you'd give us the grace to look up to you, to look around, to think about how we can share your love, to be faithful to our calling as Christian believers, not just to put our mind's belief in Jesus, 
but to walk the kind of road that Jesus walked. So we need you for that, Lord. We recognize our need for you. Lord, if there are some in this room, in this place, that have deep hurt, that has led to long-lasting resentment, maybe even the ruin of their soul, I pray that you would rescue them. I pray that your way would be made clear before them, that their path to freedom would be illuminated by your words in the Bible here today. Thank you so much for giving us a better plan for life. We want to live it. We want to see our church represent it. We want to see these kinds of principles restored and celebrated even in in the public square. But Lord, we know that all of it starts with us in in our own hearts in moments like this, deciding to trust your way instead of our own. Would you give us that faith right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.